Welcome to Insights into Organisational Culture, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast series, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about how to create, sustain and influence organisational culture for high performance. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. Nia Yari Giam, Jagenba, Na Gayabu, Yarrawa Peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giyabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Our guest for this episode has successfully created and led sales teams across a range of industries, including retail, trade, real estate, technology, telematics and digital transformation. Michael Carter is currently the director of Beyond Clarity, a business that distributes advanced technologies that solve unique business problems and deliver clear, measurable results. Michael Carter, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Michael, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your business Beyond Clarity and what you do there? So my business Beyond Clarity is uh, a distribution uh, arm for a range of different, uh, usually um, leading-edge technologies. Um, We promote uh, technologies that solve unique problems in unique ways, uh, i.e., like one of the technologies, Guardian by Seeing Machines, uh, is a world leader in solving the issues associated with driver fatigue and distraction. It uses AI and machine learning to lock in on your face and to, to notice when you're drowsy or micro-sleeping and driving and it shakes a chair to wake you up. So you know, the technologies like that are another technology which helps fleets convert to electric vehicles of a data aggregation platform. Um, so yeah, some digital transformation products as well. Wow. How did you get on to this sort of business? It's extenuation of probably my career, I suppose, in the sense that I've always worked with technology products and I, I suppose I wanted to move away from the corporate life. Uh, I'd had 15 years on planes and uh, flying around and I, I didn't want to do that anymore. So I decided to set up my own business where I could distribute products where I, where I knew a lot about the industries that I was working in and a lot about how those products could solve that problem. Um, and it's been, it's been a really successful venture. And you've run businesses like this for quite a while now. Can you tell me about some of your other businesses? I've run businesses um, in the sense that one stage I used to do landscaping and uh, used to take on large government fencing contracts, believe it or not, for housing mission homes. I've also worked in the corporate life. I've worked in real estate and I've worked in my own businesses, a variety of different things as a consultant. Uh, you know, so it's been a career that's done many different things, but I've, I've certainly enjoyed my, my time. How do you find leadership differs in those different businesses that you've had? Not a lot, actually. Um, I, I don't think you need to have a different leadership style for a different business type. I think leadership styles and a good leadership style you know, is, is transferable across industry, uh, across business. Um, and so I wouldn't say that different leadership styles work in different environments better than others. That's a very interesting thing to hear and um, certainly a focus of the MBA that we have here, that leadership is important and obviously choosing your style, your personal style is important, but it's about getting a good culture in that business and running that business the right way um, regardless of what the business is. Absolutely, absolutely. And what we want for most businesses is they want high productivity, uh, a, a customer-centric view, uh, a level of high quality which drives high returns. 
And so regards to the business, they're the focus points. Um, and so, you know, as a leader, how do you create a culture um, that delivers upon those uh, promises? Um, and that's, that's obviously um, something that I've seen done very poorly and, and sometimes I've seen it done very well. And that's what we're talking about here today, organisational culture. Can you tell me about some of those examples? What happens when it's done poorly? I worked in a company where uh, this company was a benchmark telco organisation in the sense that it pursued high-level corporate business and delivered really good customer service. Um, The culture of the business was really energising. It was... It was high performance. It was it was high quality. You know, customer centric. There was a, a buyout of that company, and uh, new strategies were implemented. Uh, strategies based around volume, strategies based around uh, turnover, um, and, and, and budgets and efficiencies. Um, but you have strategies based on you know profit and loss uh, in the sense that you know it was all about cutting uh, budgets, and that organisation completely and utterly fell apart within 24 weeks. Uh, a new manager was introduced. He uh, brought out a, a range of new targets which were unachievable um, in the sense they were just, you know, exponentially way too large and then set about issuing warning letters to all those who didn't deliver them in the first month or two. I would suggest you 80% of that, of that staff of that organisation were gone within a year and that organisation didn't achieve any of its profit goals or volume goals. Um, and, in fact, um, it became, instead of being a profitable arm of, of much larger entity, it was just bleeding cash uh, month after month and it was well reported in the papers that it was. A devastating impact of a change of strategy and leadership and change of culture to that organisation. And we're talking here really about culture that has been created by poor leadership in this instance, um, which has really led a lot of people in, in the organisation to leave. Absolutely. And it was just amazing to watch. I mean, you know, I was at that stage uh, a sales uh, a manager in, 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 the te- in the team and um, my team uh, had gone from being the 18th place team out of 18, um, the worst in the performance, I think they were running about 30 or 40% of the target, to we were the number one and we broke sales records by 100%. We doubled them. Um, and, and even the culture in our team uh, under this uh, new structure got eroded so quickly. It surprised me how quickly the negativity and the dissatisfaction creeped into my team, uh, uh, even though we'd been performing so, so very well. Michael, on the flip side, do you have an experience that you could share which can tell us about how a strong culture influences the performance of a business? Yeah, I, was, I worked in an organisation where um, they had three or four attempts at a particular uh, go-to-market strategy uh, through their uh, retailers um, and it had been uh, unsuccessful. And on the fifth occasion, um, they got the right leader. And within two years, that division, which had been, again, unsuccessful over a period of a decade after several attempts, under a good leader who created a great culture, high-performance culture, was worth a billion-dollar channel to that organisation within 24 months. It took 15 to 20% of market share 
off the major competitor. So it was a massively successful outcome. But the difference was not what they were trying to achieve, but the leader who who actually uh, was driving that uh, delivery. Um, and you could see, you know, in the team, um, the level of high performance that we had, uh, you know, around that we're willing to work for that leader, we're willing to go the extra mile for that leader. Um, so you, you certainly uh, have seen it both sides of the fence. And what are the key things that a leader has to do to create a culture where people are happy to work, where the performances are high and people are happy to come to work and share as a team? Yeah, look, I suppose there's, there's a few things. I look at one of my teams that, that I've worked with and I'll just reflect upon that where uh, this particular team, they were running about 18th, 19th out of a, a group of divisions of 25 across the country. And the culture there was really uh, poor. It was negative. Uh, it was underperformance, low quality, not customer-centric. In fact, on my first day, I went into the conference room and on the conference room wall, there was a baseball bat mounted in a cabinet and it was called the incentive, um, <laughs> as if that, that was it, it's true. Oh, and, and, and it was if that, of course, I had a screwdriver with the first half an hour and we removed that much to the dismay of the owner of the business who thought it was all very humorous. But it was a really destructive culture. So what did we do? I mean, the first thing we did was we worked on making sure people turned up to meetings on time. That was the first thing. People were streaming into the meeting, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes late. I suggest everyone, the first meeting, that if they weren't here at the time, we'd close the door and they wouldn't be allowed in the meeting. It took a few a few weeks for everyone to work out that I, that I meant that. Um, so that was the first thing we did. We then um, got to a point of sitting down one-on-one with each one of my teams. And I could do that in a structured meeting, which I had. A lot of leaders really surprised me. They don't have one-on-ones. Massively surprised me. Which means that because it's a very important part. And in the one-on-ones, what I really wanted to understand is what is it that drives them? Um, People don't come to work for your company or for you or for product. They they come to work for themselves ultimately. And I want to know what drives them. What, What is it? they're doing so with this work they're doing what are they doing with that um, wealth they're creating what 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 excites them in their life and I really want to understand that so I can connect their daily work function to their dream and in some instances some of the, the staff didn't really have very good dreams didn't really have a set path for themselves and so we'd work on that it's not for me to decide what's right for someone they have to work through that themselves but my job is to understanding what it was and, and or potentially unearthing it so, and providing some clarity for that so it, with the point of view that I'm, I'm actually going to connect the work function to the dream and because the work function becomes very easy when it's connected to something that you know is really something you're really passionate about um, so that was that was a really important thing I did that all my teams I spent a lot of time working with individuals um, on what it is that the person who drives them and what they can do to improve themselves uh, as part of that and, ha- and how we can then create that to their, their work function. It's really clear that you've got to measure things um, and you've got to create measurement platforms on um, the key activities which drive success. Too many measurement platforms or, or uh, things are all based on outcomes. I want to drive a lot of my, uh, my KPIs based on the, the correct activities required to be successful um, because it's, it's, the, it's like the story of the goose and the golden egg. You don't focus on the golden eggs. They are an outcome. If you focus on the goose and get the goose be- working beautifully 
and, and feeding it and, and giving everything it needs so that it can it will produce golden eggs every day. And maybe it'll produce several golden eggs every day. It depends what it is. Don't be limited by a target. Just work on the on the goose. But making sure that we those activities are specifically in line with what you're trying to achieve. So what I do see sometimes when in this big mistake here is that uh, leaders try to put in KPIs that are hard to measure or hard to, to understand. The simpler, the better. Um, and if you look at the baseline activities that you need to have in your business to be successful, there are some very simple baseline activities that need to be done well, very well, every day, all day. And so let's get them right as a starting point and let's measure that. You know, then I educated the team. Um, we started working on using a personal motivation platform. I used the seven habits of highly effective people to look at, you know, how um, we can apply that theory to our work function and we looked at each of them and said, yeah, gee, we, we could do this better, we could do better. If we take that theory and apply it here, that can, that'll improve our performance. We, we had, obviously, we talked about doing the one-on-ones. Uh, one of the things that came out of those, uh, of those meetings that we talked about was that we didn't have enough uh, knowledge, technical knowledge, so we got technical people come in to educate the team and give them confidence to be better in the, in their given field by bringing the experts in. We then rang think tanks. And this is when I shifted the, my, my leadership style from maybe leading from the front to more letting them lead uh, the scenario. So the think tank was uh, actually first revealed to me by Kevin Sheedy. I got uh, the um, great AFL player and coach. I got uh, opportunity to be one-on-one with Kevin Sheedy for several hours well, our company was a sponsor of Essendon at the time. And he, and he said, you know, you're going to learn three things this afternoon. One of them was know your father, which I'm glad to say I do. Uh, he, he said that a lot. But he also talked about the think tank. And the think tank is a great concept where basically the team frame the problem. Like they work out what they think isn't going well in the business. We used to do that during the week. And we'd have the problem and it would be there. And then the, they would work on how to resolve that problem. They would come up with great ideas. My job as a leader was to make sure that in the think tank there were two key rules. First rule was no negativity. So you can't say, oh, we've tried that before, or you can't say, you know, that doesn't work or whatever. If you, if you any negativity on any idea, that person was removed from the meeting. And the second rule is that every idea is a good idea. And you just write them up on the board. The person gets to come up with their idea, explain their idea, and then just write them up on the board. And it's interesting because when you do it, the good idea stands out anyway. The good idea, everybody goes, wow, that is a great idea and gets in behind it quite quickly. You don't find people fighting for their idea above other ideas in that environment because the good one will just stick out. Um, and so in which case, in that point, they've now got, they've got, they've found the problem in the business They've identified a range of ideas how to resolve it and they walk out of that meeting with actions of those who, who are going to resolve that. So then we're going to come back with a review next week to look at that, how we're going to measure that uh, as such. So I ran those think tanks, which were, um, which were great. Uh, also wanted to look at, um, you know, letting the teams run the, the different team members run the team meetings and not only that they got from the team and they explained what they were going to do this week to the rest of the team, uh, which would be recorded and how they're going to do it. Um, so they took ownership of, of their results and, you know, their, what their actions would be during the week. And as a team, we kept them accountable. One of the things I noticed in, as the culture was developing was the diet in the organisation was just woeful. I'm not kidding you. It was McDonald's, Hungry Jack's, Chinese, Domino's and KFC 
uh, across the five days, and it, it, it amazed me. Um, so I looked, I thought about how that would impact their performance, um, but it's going to be a hard thing to influence. So I created what I call the bowl of life, which was just a bowl of fruit that I put there and I put the sign, the bowl of life in front of it. After a few days, a couple of staff said they have a banana and on. I just said, absolutely. I didn't explain what the bowl of life was for. Eventually, the bowl of life was getting eaten down every day, which was good. People were eating fruit, not uh, burgers. Um, and then it came up that they felt that they should contribute to the bowl of life because I was paying for it every day. I was, I was happy. It was better, better for everybody anyway. Um, and then we decided that well, we wanted to do more than fruit. We had uh, lunches and the lunches, everyone brought everything. The lunches were made. If you weren't in the office at the time, uh, it was glad wrapped uh, with your name on it. So you came back down. It was, and the lunches were a wonderful cultural moment for the business too because we got to talk while we're chopping food, making these salads and fresh salads uh, and things. We changed that as well. On Friday we had trivia games. Everyone had to be back at 3pm. That was a non-negotiable. Um, that gave everybody an hour to finalise their business because at 4pm, non-negotiable, we started uh, to have a couple of beers, socialise, do some trivia, play some different games. I remember I played a game called I Don't Like My Boss When and the staff had to go around and answer that. Now, it's a really interesting game because I played it several times because if the staff say, I don't like my boss when, no, he's really great, I can't say anything bad, you're actually not in good shape. What you want is a belting. And I can tell you the first time I did it, I got absolutely belted, but they trusted me. And they told me all sorts of things they didn't like about what I was up to. Um, you have to have your ego and check, that's for sure. I tell you what, I did. when I first did it, I thought, gee, I didn't know it was going to be like this. But it was, you know, as I realised as they were being open and honest with me, that, that was a really good indicator for, for, for our culture. Um, we also decided on the community project, which was to support a local sporting club, and that required some time from all of us on Saturday, uh, which we did rotationally across the team. Um, so that, that was some of the things that we did. We, we went from being the 19th order in the country to number one, um, and we, we people used to fly across the country to come and look at our team. That was in 18 months to see what we were doing there, to understand what we were doing and while we are doing it. The reality is that uh, we had a culture around uh, getting the baseline activities right and doing them every day. And that was uh, so everyone was a bit surprised at how simple it was, well, the focus in our organisation. It wasn't a miracle. I suppose getting those baseline activities done correctly and getting them done every day has a lot to do with obviously culture. And, and the culture has a lot to do with the individual and how they feel about their life and themselves, um, but also about the work function they're doing and that it relates to their life and themselves. Well, that was a very interesting um, story, Michael, and an excellent example of how you've built culture from, from the ground up over that period of time. Uh, absolutely amazing. And what sort of came out to me is that really you're looking at knowing your staff, your staff knowing you, that relationship between you and your staff being very good and your staff realising that you're on their side, that you're there to help them do well, not only at work, but in their lives, because when they do well in their lives, that, as you say, affects work. So you're totally interested in if they're eating healthy, as well as performance at work. And so that whole culture, it is holistic. Yeah, I, in another organisation where I ran a team across Australia, we all worked remotely, but we, we started a running club and we, we would all fly in for a different event, maybe the Brisbane or uh, we did the Sunshine Coast Half Marathon. 
Um, I think across the team we lost about 100 kilos uh, on that, but but I knew that the guys would be performing better. They felt great about things and um, they paid for their own flights to come to the to, to the actual thing, but we were all training, we were all encouraging each other about, you know, getting out there and doing the kilometres that we need to do to be, to be able to do a half marathon. Yeah, it's, it, it's certainly really important and, in fact, you know, if you, one of the key skills for a good leader is empathy. And I, I ran a, a leadership session in a trade organisation, we got a lot of tradies, hundreds or so tradies. One of the things that came out was that the leaders didn't actually really know the, some of their tradies really well. And that's okay if you've got guys only been in a few months. But I said to a couple of leaders, I said, well, this guy's been in the business 12 years and you know nothing of him. It's incredible uh, that you, you wouldn't know that. Go and ask a couple of questions. Just go, hey, are you going? What's going on in the family? What, you know, understand where they're at. That's, it's a really important skill. Um, and listening to, to uh, obviously, their concerns, both at a personal or business level, is, is something that can really drive uh, a deep connection between you and the employee and, and, you know, allow you to then get the best possible performance out of them. So given this conversation, Michael, how would you describe organisational culture? It's like the DNA, isn't it? Like, so it's the DNA, the central DNA that drives the performance of the organisation or the lack of it. You can have a great product and a great service you can have all the right technology and all the right systems. If you don't have the right culture to support that, it, you're going to struggle to, to maximise your outcome. You may be profitable. You may still be a viable business. That It's not to say that you can't. And there are plenty of organisations that make money with poor cultures, you know, but they're actually under, undermining themselves, aren't they? Because ultimately, you know, by creating a better culture, they would actually get a much better return. It, so it's really central. I, and it's, it's really intricate too. Like I've always described uh, organisation culture as like a, you know, you, you get the balloons that you blow from the shampoo for the kids, you blow them out and they, you know, they float in the air and, you know, they're just big air balls. Those, it's as intricate as that. It looks wonderful culture when it's, when it, as it floats there and you can marvel at it. But only a little bit of wrong can ruin it too. And so the protection of it is really key as a leader. Um, and that that's part of the reason why we want to know all all your people very well because you want to cut off any bad culture uh, and scenarios that are going on, you know, nip them in the bud before they get worse. And do you think really sometimes that's about, as you say, knowing somebody well, knowing why they're coming to work and that if something's not going right, finding out why that is and, and perhaps it doesn't really have anything to do with work but perhaps it has something to do with what's going on with that person. Absolutely. We all know how the personal life can impact on, on work. And, you know, obviously there's only so far you can go depending on where someone wants to let you. But, you know, if you've got the right relationship, they're going to talk to you about very difficult things. They're going to feel a lot better about that. They potentially, you know, that's going to help with their mental health enormously. And, and you know, when, when you are part of the process, they're helping them resolve that and getting fixed. They turn it to work. And they, they're bulletproof because they've got this feeling that someone's got their back, that, that you know, that they understand they're being looked after. And people love to feel valued. Um, and the best way you can show someone that you value them is to assist them in, when times are difficult, to help them improve when they don't have the skill set potentially to, to handle where they're at or, or the situation that's going on. To help them grow as an individual is something that will allow you to do that uh, for a long, long time. Michael? This has been a great discussion, but to finish off, what advice would you give to a person leaving an MBA degree, a person who's going to be new to a leadership role, what sort of advice would you give to them about the importance of understanding organisational culture? 
Yeah, look, it's it's obviously really important because how do you go and take all your learnings and skills as an MBA student and then apply them correctly if you don't understand the lay of the land? You know, um, a poor performing organisation may have projects that are working really well individually or individual people that are really top performers being buried in the mire of underperformance across the business. And, and so, you know, spending your time to, again, this is where the empathy part comes back out, uh, spending your time to understand every part of the business and hear them. You know, one of the things I used to do and some of the senior managers used to sort of think, well, what's he doing? But I used to fly into Sydney once a month. I got down there for a week, about once a month, and I'd go around and see all the individual members, the tech team, I'd sit with them, the marketing team, the legend team, over to the stock room, across to the orders team, and I could learn so much about the business in that. And it took me from effectively 8.30 that morning through to about 12.31 by the time I was finished. Uh, so it was a good half day to do that, but I learned more in that time about what was going on the business and where the problems were and, you know, about how to resolve them too. Like, you know, people were saying to me, gee, this is, I see, you know, this is impacting the business. This is what we should be doing. I'm thinking, why aren't we not doing that? I wasn't sure I was allowed to. Let's get that done. I've, you've got my support to get that done because that's going to make the business better because you know your job function better than I do. I'm not an expert in what you do. You are. And if you've got a great idea, let's let's work on implementing it so we can improve the business. Um, so certainly, you know, if you're coming out with your MBA, getting around and talking to everybody and trying to learn them. And some of the challenge there is that, you know, when you turn up on day one, people don't want to tell you their life story. And, you know, some of it is about structuring those uh, moments, like that's where the one-on-one, like that's a one-on-one. One-on-one is like a, a structured empathy moment. So making sure you have those one-on-ones. And I always say the one-on-ones are about what you want to discuss and what's on your mind. And then we can work on issues from there. If you've got nothing to discuss, then I'll talk through things that I want. But if ultimately, this is your session. Um, but also then maybe potentially just, you know, if you're out and about in the vehicle, just having the chat, thinking about questions you can ask to understand and open everybody up, especially in those early stages. They're going to be medicine for, for in some instances, for the new, to tell everything to the new person. Um, so working on, you know, building that integrity with them over a period of time so that you can get the, the little bits of information, little bits of gold that can help you then take your skills of MBA and apply them in the right spot to the right time in the right parts of the business. That was a great piece of advice to our students. So don't just turn up and listen to a report about what's going on. Get on the floor, meet the people, know them well, know what they do well, and then work with them to make the right decisions. I would be suggesting if I was talking to my upcoming employer about that, I would they often want to know what you're going to do in the first instance. I would suggest you would be saying, I want two to four weeks to talk to the entire business uh, at length. You know, I want to sit with the, this division and I want to watch them do what they do and I want them to tell me what they don't like and like. If you can get a week, maybe some people will catch off. Oh, you know, you're spending too much time. But, you know, if you can get as a week, that would be the part I'd do. Just I want to spend, I remember I took on a new role as a chief commercial officer and um, I said, what are you going to do in the first couple of weeks? I said, I'm just going to listen to all the staff and just hang out and see what they're doing. And, and this was not the sort of... Uh, I suppose, response that was expected by the board. They were expecting me to come up with a great new strategy and, yeah, let's do this and how we're going to get growth and all that stuff. And I said, I'll just have a look at what we're doing today and I'll come back with some recommendations from there. Yes, excellent. Michael Carter, thanks for all your advice on the show today and thanks for coming on. No problem at all. I hope hope it's uh, useful to to your students. Certainly is. Thank you very much, Michael. 
information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.